0: Welcome to Hollywood Remixed, a Hollywood Reporter podcast about cultural shifts in entertainment. I'm Rebecca Sun. And I'm Rebecca Ford. Each episode, we'll do a deep dive into a single topic, a type of story or character that has been traditionally underrepresented or misrepresented in pop culture.
1: And for today's episode, it's focused on the black nerd, also known as the Blurred. Later, we'll talk to William Jackson Harper, who's best known as Chidi Gagne on The Good Place. But first, let's look at the portrayal of the blurred, especially on TV.
0: I think it's important at the outset to note that although I am a self-described nerd, I will not speak for Ford. Neither of us is black, but a lot of what I've learned about um, being a black nerd comes from listening to our former Hollywood reporter colleague, Mark Bernardin, who's now a TV and comic book writer and also co-host of Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith, as well as a YouTuber named um, Andre, whose handle is Black Nerd Comedy. He's talked about how, you know, what is a black nerd? It's kind of like a Venn diagram of somebody who's into like, quote unquote, nerdy things, comic books, sci-fi, what have you. And black entertainment you know and and that he exists sort of at the nexus of it now it's going to be different for each person but that was one lens that i thought was sort of useful
1: yeah and back in his 2010 comedy central stand-up special donald glover joked i'm a black nerd and that was illegal until 2003 he went on to speak about how he was bullied for liking the things that he liked because this didn't align with the expectations put on him as a black man And Jordan Peele has also joked about how Obama was the person who finally made it okay to be a black nerd. These two guys really summarized, I think, what has been sort of a widely held belief that for a long time, black nerds, as they were portrayed on television, were not cool. They were not something to aspire to. And so we're going to take a look in this episode about how that portrayal has really changed over time and then kind of end by talking with William Jackson Harper about G.D. Some of the earliest portrayals of, as we would call them, Blurreds include Raj on What's Happening, which was on TV back in 1976 to 1979. He was a teenager living in Watts, and he he had great manners, he was really smart, and he had the, of course, signature horn-rimmed glasses that every nerd has to have. And then, of course, Lamar Luttrell in Revenge of the Nerds, which came out in 1984, you know, which also showed that nerds could be uh, people of color, but it was, you know, not a major role in that film. Yeah, he was like not only like the token black nerd, but he also had to serve the token gay nerd right. slot, so yeah. Right. But then what we really should probably focus on are sort of the two most iconic nerds of. TV Steve Urkel from mm-hmm. Family Matters. Of course, that was played by Jaleel White. And that was on from 1989 to 1998. Obviously a very popular show. And he had like every nerd thing required. Suspenders, the kind of silly high-pitched voice, the glasses. And a very beloved character, mm-hmm. but not exactly something, you know, if you were watching him, you'd want to be him. You know, he he didn't get the girls. He was kind of the butt of the joke, a lot of it. And, you know, that was kind of who Steve Urkel was. And uh, of course, it's become such an iconic character, but not really somebody you'd want to be.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because Family Matters started out where Urkel was. I mean, he's the neighbor. He doesn't even live with the Winslows, but he's not part of the family in the title. But he really kind of ended up becoming weirdly a fan favorite but not somebody that you would really aspire to and it was somebody that you would kind of if you were just a kid who was black and kind of had nerdy tendencies you would get made fun of as an Mm -hmm. urkel and and i think it's something that julio white also struggled with as he got older and tried to break out of that mold that people kept wanting to put him in
1: and so then the other most iconic um black nerd of TV is Carlton Banks from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air you know of course he was this really smart preppy wealthy guy who was totally awkward and obviously known for the Carlton dance the yeah. infamous Carlton dance which he also I believe the actor Alfonso Ribeiro brought to Dancing with the Stars yes he more recently yeah. so he's really been cashing in on that dance for a long time and he's sort of you know the comic foil to his cooler Street smart cousin, you know, played by Will Smith. Of
0: course. Yeah, and and so that last point is really important in terms of one of the reasons why the traditional portrayal of the black nerd has sometimes been a little bit problematic. Because first of all, in general, Hollywood has not been kind to nerd types. They're usually the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're made fun of. They're considered not romantically desirable. But there's an extra layer of it to that when we're talking about black nerds. And that's something that William Jackson Harper will talk about later in this podcast. But when you sort of intersect this stereotype with race, a lot of people who've traditionally had nerdier inclinations, whether that just means that you're super academically inclined or if it means that you're really obsessive about certain types of pop culture, like science fiction or whatever, then you're considered not true to your race. Uh, That's something that a lot of people who self-identify now as black nerds have talked about, that they have felt like they were told you are acting white. Uh, You're not authentically black. And so with Fresh Prince, there was a little bit of that dichotomy where, you know, Will Smith, being from West Philadelphia, born and raised, (laughs) was sort of like the true quote unquote black guy. And Carlton is sort of like this whitewashed preppy guy. I mean, he lives in Bel Air. You know, that sort of thing. Um, it's interesting, right? Because that kind of family class is later commented on with like Kenya Barris is blackish and mm-hmm. things like that with Junior, you know, in the pilot episode, literally Anthony Anderson's character is like, oh, my gosh, my son is losing his blackness because he's such a nerd. But, you know, that's something that I think is particular to black nerds where the legitimacy of their race is questioned just because
1: they're a nerd. Right. There have been a couple of other portrayals that have been a little more positive. You know, you look at Dwayne Wayne on A Different World, also still had like weird eyeglasses. Like apparently that's those, really Those are thing. cool. Those are cool. Those are cool. He was like cool
0: before it was cool. Yeah. But certainly like Kadeem Hardison. And certainly that's the thing with A Different World too. Like Ford said, it's a more positive portrayal because this is a show that takes place at, you know, a historically black college mm-hmm. uh one that really has made an impact on a lot of today's artists and entertainers i mean lena waith named her production company hillman mm-hmm. you know after the fictitious school in a different world and Dwayne wayne even though he's quote unquote kind of a nerdy character he had this long-running like you know on again off again relationship with jasmine guy and you know he was like a fully fledged character who happened to be you know kind of smart and brainy
1: and speaking of smart and brainy We can't forget to mention Doherty LaForge, I think, from Star Trek, The Next Generation. Of course, you know, in the sci-fi universe that they created for that show, maybe you wouldn't think he counts, but I think, you know, a lot of black nerds probably, you know, admired that character and there are plenty of costumes with the sort of visor thing he wore to see and, and that's definitely an iconic role in and of itself. But I think what's been more exciting is sort of the more recent roles we've seen that could be called quote-unquote black nerds but really provide a sort of wider range of characters and backstories and Donald Glover, of course, played Troy Barnes on community, which sort of follows him as he embraces his nerdiness yeah, throughout his the series. Friendship with
0: Abed, because yeah. yeah, like Troy starts out. I mean, he's the, you know, if if community was sort of a breakfast club like collection Correct. of misfits, he started out as the jock. He was the football player who had to go to community college. But you know, through his friendship with Abed, who is like straight up a nerd, yeah. he came to embrace those geekier aspects.
1: Yeah. And peak TV is really allow, you know, there's hundreds of shows on the air now. So there's been a definitely a wider range of portrayals of black men and black nerds. I think, you know, for those who watch Dear White People, there's some great nerds on there. I think Lionel Higgins, played by Daron Horton, is a really great character. And, and, you know, you just kind of love that guy. And then, of course, on Stranger Things, uh, Lucas and Claire, played by Caleb McLaughlin, is a you know, a Dungeons and Dragons playing nerd who just, you know, loves being with his friends, but also like fighting monsters as a side gig. So
0: yeah, it really just sort of normalizes the the fact that as with people of any race, you can have like a huge array of interests and, and pursuits. And again, I think that it's important to note that one of the reasons why it's significant to acknowledge that It sounds ridiculous to have to say this, Mm -hmm. but that black men can be into anything is because sort of anti-black nerdness is is rooted in actually just in general anti-black racism this idea that when you treat being black and a nerd as unusual you're reinforcing this stereotype that african-americans are quote-unquote not supposed to be known for intellectual pursuits right which is dehumanizing it's part of this ongoing problem that overemphasizes the physical aspects of black men in particular, which can have quite deadly consequences for them in the real world. And even just in a day-to-day basis, it just sort of alienates people who feel like they have to choose between being quote-unquote true to their race and then true to their passions.
1: So I think one of the shows that has done a lot for sort of creating a wider representation of what a black nerd can be is The Good Place. And, you know, the show's coming to an end now. And this character, Chidi, has become this sort of beloved, complicated, interesting, romantic lead. And now we're going to get to talk to William Jackson Harper about how he helped sort of create that character and what it's been like for him.
0: Today, we'd like to welcome our special guest. He's best known as uh, ethics professor Chidi Anagonye on NBC's The Good Place, which is currently in its fourth and very unfortunately final season. (laughs) But this summer, he also co-starred as another academic, an anthropology grad student in Ari Aster's horror movie *Midsummer*. He's next up in Todd Haynes' legal thriller, Dark Waters, and he also has a part in Barry Jenkins' Amazon series, Underground Railroad.
1: William Jackson Harper, thank you so
0: much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So we're going to start off by bringing you way back to your sort of young years as a kid, and we'd love to hear sort of about how you would describe yourself as a child. Like, what kind of kid were you?
2: Well, you know, as like a a little kid, I think I was pretty strange and expressive and and whatever. And at some point, like nearing preteenhood, I became very, very shy. And my mom actually made me take theater classes to kind of shake that off because I just sort of retreated entirely.
0: Mm. You grew up in Dallas, right? Yeah. In terms of your peers, did you find like a like-minded tribe in terms of like, were there a lot of other drama kids around. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, like my high school, you know, I I didn't feel like I really fit there. It wasn't like a a, like an antagonistic relationship or anything like that. I I didn't feel like I was like bullied or ostracized or anything like that. But it just sort of I just didn't feel like I could really fully be myself. And uh, I did this thing called Junior Players in Dallas, which is a bunch of high school students wind up auditioning for a Shakespeare play and they do it after Dallas Shakespeare Festival. Um, And so it's like this Shakespeare play with all local high school kids. And that's where I really started to find my group. And I mean, and also like the thespian society in high school, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like we were all a bunch of weirdos and like those folks, we all connected pretty instantaneously and deeply, but it was, yeah, I really, because at the time Dallas wasn't known for being a, th- a hub for theater necessarily, even though there's a lot of good work there, culturally it wasn't as present in everyone's mind as, as it would be in, in other places. And so, like finding those folks at that time was like really instrumental and, and super special.
0: Now, Texas obviously is a really diverse state, and you know Dallas being one of the major metropolitan areas, you know, I don't know. I would imagine that you know every neighborhood's makeup is different, but. Did that play a factor at all in terms of your tribes that you ran in? Were were like the kids who were into the arts and drama also fairly racially diverse or was it different?
2: Actually, you know, like my group of high school friends were we're really diverse group, which is like one of the things that. When I see people say things like uh, you know like you're you're cramming this down our throat, like you know like you're just putting these people you know together when they would never be together, I'm like, well, that's not that's not true. I mean, my group of friends was incredibly diverse, and it was really odd to me, honestly, when I went to college and it was much less diverse. That like actually kind of took me out for a second because I was just like, that that's so strange that not everyone is represented. In some capacity, you know, I, I I don't really identify. I mean, like, granted, like where I grew up in the suburbs, like was majority white, but like our high school, I remember at the time was like. I want to say it was like something like 40% white, 20-something percent black, 20-something percent Latino. And so it was a pretty mixed up crowd. And everyone got used to being with people that weren't like them. Mm -hmm. And to have people not used to that, actually, that was sort of a a culture shock for me.
1: And I'm curious when it came to what you saw on TV and film, you know, at the time growing up. Did you see people like you were the characters that resonated with you? What was sort of your strongest memories about what you saw in an entertainment at the time?
2: I really, I really loved A Different World. Like that was Mm -hmm. one of those shows that just... It felt real. I think the character of Dwayne Wayne just felt like a person in my family to me, you know, I just felt like I got him and he was really quick and sort of unflappable. And, you know, that's sort of what my family's like. And and now that I'm saying it, I'm realizing that it's like that. And so I I, I really latched on to to that. You know, I, I, I think coming up, You know, a lot of TV for me was just sort of the default thing. It was something that was on in the background, something I just like consumed when I could. And we didn't have cable. So there's a lot of stuff that I just missed, you know, I guess like big cultural moments. But as much as I liked it, I never really thought that that would be my destination. I always figured... I, I mean, I, I didn't think I'd ever be an actor until, like, you know, my mom started making me do theater classes and then it became an addiction and I just kept doing it and even then, it was like, I'll do theater. That's probably where I belong because everyone on, on TV is, is so pretty <laughs> and, I you know, I was like, I'm, I'm just more of your average guy and I feel like, you know, your average guy gets to do theater, so... Yeah.
0: I mean that's so true that I think that there was that time in particularly the 90s where there was a pretty good representation of you know from a different world which was a spin off of of the Cosby show just kind of like the middle class black family or black experience, um, and there were lots of different television shows on at the time in a way that it kind of feels like it receded a little bit mm-hmm. right. um, after that. So when you were getting into then, like, you know, college, you studied acting, you imagined that you would have a career in theater. What types of roles were you auditioning for, or were you getting, um, and then also when you transitioned into screen?
2: Well, in theater, it, it was pretty diverse, the kinds of roles that I played I feel like sort of the higher profile stuff that I got to audition for was usually sort of the, you know, thankless kind of nice guy, best friendy type, you know, like uh, someone might torch me for this. But I definitely thought that like 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 Benvolio and Romeo and Juliet, mm. like that's the kind of guy that I would, you know, mm-hmm. get called in for a lot and. It's not that I didn't enjoy playing those parts because it's it's fun to try to find a way to like veer away from the idea of the character and try to like actually make it your own and, you know, really sort of contextualize like who this character is in the world based on what other characters have said about them and, and seeing like letting your imagination run a little bit and sometimes those you know those characters are a little bit more of a blank canvas in that way and so it's like they it can be fun but it can also if the director has a very clear idea of what this thing wants to be your part in it needs to sort of resonate in a certain way you know sometimes that work has to go away so yeah there was that but then there was also you know I, I worked at this theater I'm a member of this theater ensemble studio theater in New York and I've gotten to do a lot of different things there. And I've gotten to play a lot of, like, bad guys, uh, you know, aggressive guys, you know, people that are not very sympathetic. And I feel like I've done a lot of that, actually. You know, I, I, I feel like my role in sort of the larger context of things that, like, people actually get to see... Um, like a larger amount of people get to see, I do a fair amount of of nice dudes, you know, sort of non-threatening. And I I mean, uh, that's kind of of how I am in real life. But, you know, sometimes I need to exercise those demons and be a real prick. And theater allows me to do that a lot. So, yeah, I mean, it's like in theater, it it was just a lot of different things that I would do for two months or three months or four months and put it away. You know, I've always just been drawn to anything that's complicated needs to be unpacked and there's a puzzle to solve you know uh, a character that's full of contradictions that you have to try to find a way to like connect these two opposing personas in a way you know like that's the sort of thing that I really really get excited by
1: I want to ask about Chidi and what it was like when you went out for that role what you remember about the audition process and what it was about him that you felt like that was a role you wanted to take on at
2: the time well, the reason I wanted the roles because I wanted a job. Right? Like I mean, you know, it's like I I have not been in that position very often where I'm I'm selecting the role. It's like it's I'm I'm just going and reading for it and crossing my fingers and throwing my sides in the trash as soon as they're done, so I don't like dwell on it for too long after the appointment. But hey, um, I wanted a job. B, I honestly didn't think that this part was gonna be mine. I heard that. It was Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. The character seemed like he was kind of a substantial character, and I was like, "There's no way they're going to go with some unknown dude." And also, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a TV ready person. I just in my head, there's this narrative of, I'm not the kind of guy that gets to be on TV. I got a, I got a, a baby tooth and a weird grin. I mean, it's like all sorts <laughs> of stuff that I'm just like, I you know, I don't, I don't think that that's, a, I don't think I'll land there. And especially playing opposite stars and. So I was like, well, you know, I'll 100% read for it. It's not mine, but I'll read for it, obviously. And I remember the first read that I had for it was in New York, actually. And um, it was one of those times where, you know, like you have a reader, but they didn't rehearse it with you, so they don't know what you want to do in between lines. And so everything was kind of coming out in a very different pace than what I had in my head when I was learning it. And... I was I felt really flustered, which I guess works well for cheating. <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, I was super flustered and I was a little thrown off and, you know, no hate against this person that read with me. It was just they didn't do what I thought they would do in my head. And I remember just walking out being like, well, you know, that's how it goes with the big opportunities for me. You know, like that's the I, I'm, I'm, I didn't get it. I'm not going to get it. And it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm on my way out of this anyway. So it's it's fine but then you know I came out to LA for what was going to be my last pilot season because I was you know like thinking about transitioning out of acting and uh you know they said they wanted to see me again and I went into that room and it was like you know Mike Sure and Morgan Sackett and Allison Jones and Ben Harris and there's some other folks in there too that I but it was it was all kind of a blur because I was just like I can't believe I'm actually here and it was so warm and They were really receptive, and it was so much fun. I had such a blast, like, just being in the room with them. And, you know, as it felt like sort of like my goodbye tour of audition rooms, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to just enjoy that and just enjoy being in the room, and I did. And, you know, before I got out uh, to my car, I had a uh, call from my agent saying that they wanted to test me, and then I went in, and I read with Kristen. I didn't know she was going to be there, which that took a whole (laughs) other... Uh, act of real will to like you know not freak out right
1: keep it together and
2: we just had fun you know we just had fun in the room and at that point I was like well now I I really 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 want this job you know because it was I was just enjoying being creative like the stakes honestly just completely exited my head of like oh wow you know if you get this job it could be blah 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 but it was just like man this is I'm really enjoying this. I would love to like be able to do this for a while. And I actually, uh, I got the call like a few days later, I was uh, watching Ted dance in in the pilot episode of Cheers, like like, coincidentally. (laughs) As one does, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I got the call that I, I got the job.
0: You know, I think it's probably safe to assume that in theater, just the the richness of the characters and the opportunities are probably a bit more expansive than on screen where they, you know, basically try to put people in boxes with, with yeah. labels. And so I'm curious about how cheaty, you know, obviously this is a series regular part, which is automatically going to be a bigger than, you know, if you're auditioning for guest spots and things like that. But in what ways was he sort of unique or perhaps similar to some of the screen things that you had been auditioning for before?
2: I feel like the character Chidi probably closest resembles is uh, Danny Rebus, this character I played on this kid's show, The Electric Company. Oh, uh,
0: Electric Company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And
2: I mean, it's like everything else that I've done has been... Kind of all over the map, but I, I feel like for both of them, there's like a, a real sort of very open heart, you know, and and it's it's on display all the time, and you know I think that Danny Rebus had a less than healthy way of dealing with it, and Chidi is is unhealthy in his own way, but at least it's it's a little bit more mature. I feel like that was sort of the 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 closest, honestly, but I I never really played anyone that sort of, uh, especially on camera, was all that sincere or, or sweet or really sort of carried any kind of love narrative in any way, you know. And so Chidi in, in that way is really unlike pretty much any character I've, I've ever played. I mean, I've auditioned for those parts, but I don't often get them, you know. Chidi is, is very unique in that respect, but also in a lot of ways very close to me. I mean, like incredibly neurotic and you know, second guesses everything that he's saying or thinking. Um, I think the major difference is that he really talks about it a lot. And when I'm feeling that way, I just go away and don't return calls and, and and don't talk to anybody until I can, you know, figure out where I'm at.
1: And such a big part of Chidi's personality, obviously, is sort of his nerdiness and his passion for philosophy, and and that makes him such an endearing character. But I'm I'm curious, how much did you relate to sort of his level of nerd that that Chidi has
2: I'm nerdy about different things uh-huh. you know not like, philosophy um, not philosophy <laughs> you know um I'm not smart enough for that but uh I'm, I'm pretty nerdy about music I really and like I, I get just sucked down these rabbit holes of you know weird artists that are doing something really strange and or artists that did stuff 30 years ago that was just so weird and avant-garde and and you know so I I, I go down those rabbit holes a lot I play way too many video games my girlfriend hates it but you know it's I, I need it I need it <laughs> um I'm also like a, a fan of things like I get very enthusiastic about certain musical groups or or tv shows or you know something like that and um I feel like that is a part of nerd culture in a lot of ways is like just being a very very devoted fan of something so yeah
0: You mentioned that one of the things that was unique about Chidi in terms of, you know, sort of your resume was that he was, I mean, he's the love interest. He's the romantic, male romantic lead of Mm -hmm. The Good Place. Was that something that you knew about the character going in? Um, Because obviously he was introduced as Eleanor's soulmate. Mm -hmm. We're not going to spoil it. If you haven't been watching The Good Place yet, just (laughs) don't Google it and go to (laughs) hulu.com immediately, but don't Google it. But what did you know about the sort of relationship aspect of what he would play.
2: I didn't know anything about it. You know, I I honestly just assumed that we were going to be friends. You know, like that was going to be the story with us because I just figured they're going to pick a real pretty dude to play opposite Kristen Bell and be the the love interest. It's like, we're, we're going to be buddies. That's what we're going to do. And then as, you know, more the narrative started to reveal itself. It was like, oh, well, 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 okay, you know, here we are, which I think that sometimes that's how that sort of connection sneaks up on people anyway. Um, um, It certainly does on me, where it's like all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I really like this person, like a lot more than I thought and then feels appropriate. And so like for me, I I didn't know that we were going to be, you know, have that kind of connection in the show going in, but I, I feel like, not knowing that sort of makes certain things feel a little bit more real for me and a little bit more organic. And, you know, I feel like sometimes in those relationships, the thing that is most salient to me is the comfort that you have with that other person. And I feel like there's a lot of comfort between Chidi and Eleanor. And, you know, on top of that, it's, um, I just got to say, it's like real easy to have a crush on Kristen Bell. Like that's (laughs) pretty... It doesn't take a lot of work.
0: I think one of the things that's really uncanny and great about The Good Place is that if you actually stop to think about it, it's a very, very diverse cast. But yet that's not something that's ever remarked upon. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Chidi and Eleanor are an interracial couple, you don't even think about it. And instead, it's that contrast between the fact that it's it's a love between a, an ethics professor and a dirtbag from Arizona. Mm-hmm. and And so how do you think that sort of. Is that aspect something that you and the show's creatives were conscious of or, like, talked about? Is how the representation of romance with nerdy characters?
2: We, you know, I mean, we never really spoke about the fact that this is a interracial relationship. And, like, neither Christian nor I ever really sat down and thought, like, well, what, what does this mean? You know, it's just, like, this is a relationship, you know, and i i I think that that's actually one of the show's strengths I think that you know if you make that the thing that we're unpacking in something i mean hey it's a little it's a little boring um you know because we we live in a really diverse world now, so it's like that's the way things are and yeah i just I just feel like not mentioning it, not really trying to you know. Point to the fact that we are putting this interracial relationship at the heart of the story um, is really important. I think that it's really, I feel like there's a default thing that people do in their heads where it's just like you just assume that when you're talking about a couple you're thinking of two people of the same race. And I mean, I don't think everyone does that, obviously, but I mean, it's, I feel like that's sort of, at least in Hollywood and in media, that's sort of like the thing that we see all the time. And so to put something out there that doesn't do that, And doesn't comment on it and doesn't say like, now you should really sort of rework what your default setting is. Um, I think it honestly makes people more open, you know, to just sort of receive it rather than, you know, think that, that that's something that's being like preached at them or, you know, crammed down their throat. I mean, there's plenty of people that still feel that way, but I can't do anything about them. So, yeah, I love that we don't really dwell on it we don't unpack that so much it's just a nerd in a dirt bag
0: <laughs> i read something else too that was like there's no race in the afterlife or right. somebody like some journalist wrote about that and i was like oh that's such a good point it's like you never talk of, you know it's yeah. not a thing
1: i'm curious what have been sort of the most interesting responses you've gotten from fans especially maybe other young black men about this character and seeing someone like chidi on tv for them
2: you know, uh, like from fellow black artists, I have gotten a lot of pats on the back for, you know, and, and it's it's not really even due to me. I think it's just like it's it's good to see this kind of character on screen and not have him just be the butt of the joke or... Because, I mean, look, I mean, black nerds have been on TV forever. This is not a new mm-hmm. thing, right. you know. But I, I, th- I think that it's really important for... I think in particular, black men to see different ways to be masculine and to see that represented because it all exists. You know, it's all out there. There's plenty of brothers out there that are neurotic and nerdy and, you know, have a hard time. You know, there's I feel like on TV and and film like there's like we see the cool black dude a lot. Right. And that's not everybody, you know, and it certainly isn't me. You know, like anytime I have to read anyone who's suave and debonair, I'm just like, oh Lord, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up because it's, I just don't, I don't have the confidence, you know, but there's, I don't, I don't, I think there's a lot of dudes like me and it's nice to see that, that character and I've gotten that, I've gotten that response. Again, I don't really take any credit for how the character's written, obviously. You know, it, it's just something that's there. But I'm just glad that for some people, my portrayal rings true to them. It's something that they can relate to. And it's someone that they understand. It's also really nice to think that perhaps there's another young black artist or, or actor or actress that, that is going to see this and be like, well, that's part of the black experience, too. You know, it, it's not one thing, you know, and it's not monolithic. You know, it's it's and, and so it's like th- this is going to be part of like what is normal. And I think that for my generation, even though it's not the first time or, you know, like the only time we've seen these kinds of characters on TV, it still feels somewhat significant in some way. And I'm, I'm really hoping for the day where it doesn't feel like a significant thing. It's just part of the culture
0: yeah I mean I think that again the good place is so good about that sort of thing because it does center you know like you said an expanded definition of black masculinity as some you know can be very just brains instead of brawn and that also nerds can be heroic because Chidi is not a sidekick you know he's he's very brave and (laughs) I'm just thinking of like all the different characters, you know, like Asian dudes, on the other hand, can be incredible airheads. Right. You know, and it's like that's another like sort of a subversion of a common trope before Ford asks another really intellectual question. I feel like I'm remiss as a journalist (laughs) if I don't ask you, you know, because we're talking about representation last season, Chidi kind of had an Internet viral moment. When he went, when I'm he kind of went crazy already. and like yeah, like took a shirt off and spent most of the episode. So, first from a story perspective, because this is like important. Like yeah. Why is Cheedy so jacked? Well,
2: um, because because William Jackson Harper is afraid. Like that's I mean, that's, um, yeah. A I'm afraid. B I think it's really funny to have this character who does not trade at all in his looks at, in any way for him to hit the gym I think it's I think it's really funny I mean it's sort of like a Ned Flandersy kind of yes kind of moment, oh my you know? god
1: and and so I, I was forgot. you know I'm
2: like that's I'm like that's th- that's funny I, I didn't think I looked like that though like, it, 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 like I didn't think that um you know, I was honestly just sort of when that episode aired, I was just holding my breath that no one like made fun of me, you know, and that's oh, no. sort of where I was like, that's where my, my, my brain was until my, my buddy texted me like, yo, man, Twitter wants to, cheat to get naked. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, oh, OK, OK. All right, cool. Like no one's you know mad at me about that. Um, but, I mean, look, I mean, the, the in-world explanation is that he, you know, Chidi heard from somebody that a good way to alleviate stress is to exercise. So he just started doing push-ups and never stopped. And um, Chidi
0: would be somebody who would overdo right. yeah. every recommended yeah. treatment. Yeah, totally.
2: It's just like, yeah, if he, he, there's like if there is a way that someone can make the decisions for him and he'd, all he has to do is do the thing. You know he'll do it, but i was I totally was not expecting that to be a a, a thing. I was just hoping that the jokes would land. That's all I was worried about. It was like I hope the jokes land and,
0: and now that that's very logical and and you know again in line with the theme, it's positive representation mm-hmm. of nerd characters, yeah. so yeah ner- yeah <laughs>
2: there you go, and I, you know what's funny it's like I actually know some some really jacked nerds like oh, yeah. real <laughs> for jacked for nerds real, it's yeah true, it's true i mean you know i like the the gym i go to in new york there's like there's these dudes that are total comic book geeks who are ripped yeah. to shreds yeah. and i know a professor who is i mean like incredibly smart published and is the the dude looks like a greek statue <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's you know it's i'm like oh okay so there's tons of jacked nerds out there. Yeah, I, You know, it's just, we just don't see it that much on TV.
0: No, it's true. I mean, you got to know about, like, you have to be disciplined. You
1: have to know a lot about, like, nutrition and science and physiology. And, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's and, that level of, like, obsession and yes. passion that goes to their gym workouts yeah. as well. Yeah. You get it. It makes yeah. sense. I feel like Sun especially has a million questions about The Good Place, but you have a million other projects that I do want to talk about before you run out of time. So um, let's start with Midsummer. I mean, of course, you play another academic in that, but that's probably about where the... Similarities end on those mm-hmm. two projects, and I had read that project wasn't written for a certain ethnicity. That was no. just a totally open role. So tell me, what about that role made you want to be a part of that one? Because but this time you were not just looking for a job, because you, you no you had no. A job I mean, now. well,
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I did audition for that one. Um, I had actually just seen *Hereditary* when I when I think the appointment came in and i i love hereditary i know y'all are afraid
0: we are Sorry, not we going to watch it or i know y'all are afraid of these movies. we have not seen midsummer and we will not full disclosure to the <laughs> listener
2: um, but i i mean i love horror movies i love them especially when they're really well done and there's a psychological element to it i feel like you know often for me in horror movies there's a, there's a formula to how it's going to work and and so i don't I, i'm not really all that surprised by things that happen I mean, and I could probably do to watch with more horror films, you know, to sort of, you know, break my view on them a little bit. But I loved, loved, loved Red Jerry because I felt like it dealt with grief and mental health and I had no idea where it was headed. It was about the people and people are really unpredictable and the characters were, were drawn as such and the performances were incredible. You know, it, it wasn't there was at no point was anyone like leaning into the genre and trying to play the idea of being in a horror film. You know, they were just, uh, it was a family dealing with a loss. And so when things went buck wild in that movie, I was, you know, I, I was completely taken off guard and, and, and um, I just thought it was incredible. And so Midsommar, um, sort of leans into the kind of things that really frightened me, which is belief and belief systems, um, because the, that's something that it's, it's really hard to reason with uh with people that hold very important beliefs you know like uh, and very personal beliefs it's it's like this is something that will not change and you know we're dealing with a cult and there's a way that they view the world and um this is the way things have to be done to me that's really frightening and it kind of reminded me uh, the script kind of reminded me of the wicker man like the Mm. the old uh 1973 i want to say movie which was you know, it, it, there's all these customs. This guy's just drawn out to this island trying to find this, this missing girl. And, you know, I don't want to blow the ending for people that haven't seen it because they, they should see it. Y'all right. should see it. Will
0: not. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs>
2: um, but it's like they're at, you know, at some point it's like it's just sort of a clashing of paradigms. And that is something that you can't reason people away from. And I found that really fascinating and I really found the character of Josh super fascinating because he was, you know, he's an academic race has nothing to do with, you know, Josh doesn't have to be played by a black man. But, you know, there was backstory and I don't know if it plays for anybody, but I was like, you know, sort of thinking, you know, I feel like usually the cultures that I see in National Geographic that are being like you know, shown to us as this, you know, hidden thing that no one knew was there and there's some anthropologists. There's there's always a racial component, you know, that is really off-putting to me. And so I was like, well, I think it would be really interesting if this character who is a black anthropologist is really interested in finding those white cultures that we can like sort of peel back the Uh, you know, the the curtain on and and, and looking on. And, you know, and and I I thought that that was sort of for me, that was like sort of the engine driving him being there. And I I really wanted to play that role from that frame. And we didn't I mean, it's like there's nothing in the obviously there's nothing in the script that explicitly, you know, states that Josh has to be a, a black man. But, you know, it is something that is very much noted in the responses to the film. You know, like people are like, why is he there? Why is he there? You know, and I know why he's there. You know, if anyone listens to this and hears hears me, it would be really cool if they would just go back and sort of like look at it through that lens of a guy who's like just trying to sort of upend that world or the representation of that world that I think a lot of us, you know, lay people see which is like, you know, oh, look at these brown people somewhere else mm-hmm. doing that, weird stuff. Doing weird right. stuff, you know.
0: I think some people did pick up on that cuz I feel like and again, all of my midsummer like reactions just come from other people who've seen it. But on Twitter, mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot of like really clever memes that did sort of pick up on the fact that we're you're flipping the script of Who's, who's sort of under the exam- the magnifying glass. And it's, yeah. you know, like, in a, I mean, it's, it's a Scandinavian cult, which is about as white as you can yeah. get. Yeah. So, yeah. so now, you know, now that you are somebody who is known and has somewhat of an established resume, what types of offers are you now getting in terms of are there commonalities to the types of parts? And do you ever feel like concerned with, you know, being limited to a certain type of role or maybe not?
2: Not, not really. I mean, like everything that hasn't been the good place these last couple of years has been pretty different. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, Josh in Midsommar was obviously another academic, but Chidi's a nice guy. Josh is decidedly not. And so it's, um, you know, I I really don't worry about it too much. Like the Underground Railroad is a very different thing for me. Dark Waters is a very different thing for me. And so it's yeah, it's it's, I, I really don't worry about it too much. I also, you know, as an actor, I just want to play. I just want to, you know, do whatever I can. And I feel like it is my hope, and I don't think I always succeed, but it's certainly my hope that, like, I tap into the truth of whatever character I'm playing. And hopefully it'll start to break habits and tricks a little bit. And so if there's anything that's sort of cheaty ish that I do in the role of cheaty, you know, hopefully I've done enough homework that I don't rely on that thing that works so well in that other character just to sort of get through the scene. And I'm not too worried about it at this point. I'm also making a very concerted effort to play things that are very, very different from Chi I've spent a lot of time with that character, and I am going to miss him a lot. But, you know, I, I just want I I to try new things. I feel like, you know, most actors are that way. They just want to get in there and see if they can do it. And that's that's all I'm concerned with.
1: So we like to wrap up our podcast with two questions. And I'm going to ask you the first one. It's called The Hollywood Remixed. So sticking with the theme of this episode, is there a character from a past film or show, maybe a black nerd that you remember from another show or film that you would love to see kind of recast or revised or revisited if you could see a new take on it? A new Urkel, a new... I mean, well, you know, it's funny because I was actually
2: just thinking about Urkel in particular just because I feel like... I saw this meme where Urkel was just like uh, they were like Urkel was a hipster before the hipsters were hipsters. Mm. You know, you like oh, you look at so the way true. he dresses and yeah, stuff, and it's like glasses. he's like incredibly hip. Right. Every he, single person in bedside has now. those
0: glasses. Yeah. yeah,
2: and so I would love to see like what would that nerd be now? <laughs> you know, what would be,
0: yeah. Laura would be all over him? <laughs> yeah. So what? Laura Winslow would be all over. Oh, him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: no, I mean he's totally like you know uh, an Afropunk, You know, like right. that's. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sort of interested in seeing, like, what that dude would be now. Yeah. That's a
0: really good one. And then our second question is The Hidden Gem, which is, is there a film or a television show or any sort of piece of art, work of art, with, again, with the episode themes centering on a black nerd or a black intellectual or geek character that you would recommend to our listeners to check out?
2: Um uh.
0: So I usually use this time while people are thinking to give my own like little recommendation. Um, This isn't actually like a scripted piece of art, but uh, I wanted to shout out two podcasts. And one is our friend Mark Bernardin, who's formerly of The Hollywood Reporter, who is a self-proclaimed black nerd. He's actually a comic book writer and um, a TV writer now. But he he does the uh, Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman. And sometimes, uh, <laughs> it's,
2: a good, it's good, <laughs> a good title. It's a really it's good, good title. Batman
0: refers to Kevin Smith, but <laughs> formerly Kevin Smith before, you know, he yes. went on a good health motivated diet. But, uh, anyways, his podcast is really great for people who are just super into genre things. Um, and then there's another podcast, and website called the nerds of color which centers on just people who are into genre geekdom but again nerd isn't just about sci-fi stuff people could be nerds about
1: music nerds yeah. about it's drama, just a level of passion ethics. i yeah. Yeah. my suggestion is and people did see this but i loved the movie dope so much oh, that's, and, yeah. and i just felt like it did not get the box office success i wanted it to and it's just such a wonderful film that i have watched multiple times and is it's centered on nerds and and I love that movie so much yeah it's
2: my you totally took my movie you it?
1: can also say it then. yeah it yeah. yeah what was it about that
2: um well uh, you know there is this thing about like how to be black and what that actually is and um you know I, I love that the movie sort of deals with people not being black enough and that sort of like landing you squarely in nerd camp you know and I you know do the not black enough with like quotes just because it's something that you know I've definitely sort of dealt with you know there's something about being a somewhat nerdy dude which somehow translates to uh like wanting to be white Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and it's uh and I I just don't think that's healthy um I, I don't think it's fair and it's like it's And when people would say things like that to me, that was like the thing that would hurt me more than anything you could ever say. Just because it was like, I'm like, there's one club that I belong to that I feel like my membership cannot be questioned (laughs) (laughs) or taken from me. And when, you know, someone in the same club takes it from you or, or like take shots at it, it's really hurtful. At At least it hurt me a lot. Like to a point where I was like, why am I so bothered by this? But I was So I love that that movie sort of deals with this group of kids that are into so so many different things from the the neighborhood that the the kids in the neighborhood that they're growing up in, and that's yeah, I love that movie.
1: I'm glad we agree. Yeah. Everyone go see Dope. <laughs>
0: yeah. And check out The Good Place in its final season, airing now on NBC. But if you haven't seen it before, again, I cannot emphasize strongly enough, do not jump in in the middle. This is not that kind of show. No, start you, from, the start from the beginning. Start from the beginning. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you
2: so much Mullen, for joining us. Thank you.
1: We just want to say a quick thanks again to William Jackson Harper for joining us today. And everyone should be sure to check out his latest movie, Dark Waters, which is hitting theaters this weekend and is a great environmental thriller directed by Todd Haynes.
0: And stay tuned next week for our next episode of Hollywood Remixed, where we talk to Hustler's writer-director Lorene Scafaria about Hollywood's history
1: with stripper movies. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.